Welcome to the ConderVultures.com podcast with your host, Peter Zalewski, a Miami real estate broker, Wall Street consultant, and expert witness. This podcast is focused on identifying real estate buying opportunities in the South Florida condo market, Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. The ConderVultures.com podcast is not authorized by the South Florida real estate industry and will most likely annoy many of the region's talking heads. This podcast will feature straight talk and salty language that could be offensive to some. Please remember that part that past investment success does not determine future gains, especially in the South Florida's volatile condo market. For more information, please visit condovultures.com. Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. This is episode nine of the Condo Vultures Podcast. We began this uh, podcast during the COVID-19 stay-at-home order that's put in place in Florida as well as the United States. Florida is now effectively open, Miami-Dade County as well as Broward County. uh, The two largest uh, counties in the the state uh, are now open, so uh, effectively COVID has passed us. At least that's what the government leaders are saying. So businesses are open. So as we go into the next phase of this COVID-19 pandemic, People are looking to get back to work and you as an investor, you as someone in the real estate industry, you as somebody who's interested in South Florida real estate, you're probably thinking, how can I um, get involved? How can I get active? Are there any deals on the street? That's why I wanted to bring in two gentlemen who effectively have created a market for real estate properties as well as services. Two gentlemen are Viju Kutungo and as well as Jim Pamplin. They run something called the Dade Real Estate Investors Association. People down here know it as DRIA. Effectively, what DRIA is, is it brings people who do title, people who do mortgages, people who do hard money lending, people who buy real estate, people who sell real estate, people who do construction, people who basically do anything. And they're looking to create a marketplace where people can get together. They can buy, they can sell, they can trade. There's reputation involved and there's a whole variety of things. So everything that Amazon tries to do or eBay tries to do uh, online, these gentlemen are effectively doing it uh, uh, face-to-face, the old school way. Now, what's interesting about this particular podcast is we're going to get into two sides of real estate some of you maybe have never heard of. One is called wholesale. The other one's called retail. What is wholesale? Wholesale is primarily when uh, an individual will buy directly from a seller. They'll typically uh, buy it at a uh, very low price. They'll look to make a very little spread without doing any work and turn around and sell it to someone else who effectively will then come in. They'll do the rehab. They'll gussy it up. They'll pretty it up. And then they'll try to sell it for top dollar. Now, when these individuals fix it up and they try to sell it for top dollar, that's called retail. So uh, Jim and Viju basically are looking at it from a vertically integrated situation and they're walking you through how South Florida real estate works. Now, realtors are involved in some circumstances, but but many of the deals are actually direct from a seller through a middleman who would be a wholesaler who then sells it to someone else who does a rehab and ultimately takes it to marketplace. So if you are an investor, if you are somebody involved with real estate and you want to get into this game, you want to penetrate this um, section of the market you might not even be aware of, this is a podcast you're going to want to listen to. Viju and uh, Jim, they provided some great insight. They're also giving some outlook as to what to expect as we come down the pike, especially as we get out of the pandemic era and we kind of open businesses up again. Now, after two segments uh, with Viju and Jim, 
We'll then get into our, our uh, uh, roundtable of three former journalists, myself included. We're kicking around three headlines uh, that have occurred in the last week that caught our attention, and we give some uh, perspective about it. One of them has to do with Goldman Sachs foreclosing on 10,000 properties. Another one has to do with an all-star pitcher for the New York Mets, effectively flipping the bird to his landlord and saying, I'm not going to pay rent, which many of us are uh, thinking about doing, or maybe some of us actually have done. And then the third um, uh, piece will be about how Miami's opening up, what the restaurants are facing, what the retailers are facing, and what's a new reality in Miami post-COVID-19 stay-at-home order. So um, buckle up, get ready to soak up a bunch of interesting information. This is going to be a great use of your time. We hope you're going to enjoy it. If you have any comments um, about this podcast or about the whole uh, series, uh, we encourage you to send us an email, inquiry at condovultures.com. That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. We're going to take a break. We're going to do a commercial. On the other side, we'll begin the podcast. Enjoy. Are you a primary user or real estate investor who's in the market for a discounted South Florida condo? Are you searching in the markets of greater downtown Miami, Miami Beach north to Sunny Isles Beach, Hollywood north to Fort Lauderdale, or anywhere else east of I-95 in the Tri-County South Florida region? If so, the buyer brokers at Condo Vultures Realty are here to assist you. Condo Vultures Realty is a licensed Florida brokerage that was established in 2006 to assist educated buyers in identifying, negotiating, and purchasing units at a discounted price. To speak with a buyer broker at Condo Vultures Realty, please call 305-865-5859 or visit our website, condovulturesrealty.com. Welcome to the Condo Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. This is episode nine of our podcast. We actually began this podcast right when the COVID lockdown was being put in place in Florida. We are now in our ninth week, and the COVID uh, stay-at-home order is starting to be lifted uh, ultimately in Miami-Dade and Broward County. So what does that mean? That means it's time to start getting out, stretching your legs, and possibly trying to get back to business. And what it also means is I wanted to get on an organization run by two gentlemen who I know very well uh, to sort of talk about what they're doing. Because, again, the point of the podcast is to try to give you, the investor, or somebody who has an interest in the South Florida um, real estate game, try to give you all different types of options. So maybe condos are your thing. Maybe uh, you know, maybe buying tax uh, liens. Maybe maybe buying houses is your thing. So I want to give you a whole broad uh, set of information from some people who really know what the hell's going on. So uh, for today's podcast, I have on two partners who operate an organization called DRIA. You're asking yourself, DRIA, what is DRIA? Well, it's actually an acronym. It stands for the Dade Real Estate Investors Association. And what it is, is it brings together a bunch of buyers and a bunch of sellers to try to do transactions that actually make sense. So they don't really necessarily hit on all the fluff and all of the um, uh, TV programs you see. These guys are in the in the trenches grinding it out and making some money. So we have the pleasure today of having the two partners. It's Jim Pamplin and uh, Viju Kutongo. And, and Viju, I, I, I apologize for butchering your name. My name is Zalewski. Nobody can get it right. So I apologize. No problem. So both of you gentlemen are out there. Yes, we're here. Great, great. So, so, so guys, um, our audience has become very familiar and accustomed to our format. And the format is, I want to have you on for two segments, roughly about 20 minutes each. 
first segment, we're going to talk about the two of you, how you got together, what your organization does. Then we're going to take a break because I want to get into commercial, try to peddle some services so I can make a dime here and there. And then on the other side of the break, we'll actually get into um, you know what you're seeing from a business perspective, what your expectations are going forward, and ultimately, how can the audience make some money uh, in South Florida real estate? Does that sound acceptable? Yeah, sounds good. Great. And one rule of engagement, um, feel free to curse. If you need to get something <laughs> off, your, off your chest, let it rip. We call it salty language. Everything is acceptable on this podcast. Sounds good to me. Jim, you want to go start with the company? Well, Peter, like you, I hail from the publishing industry, specifically the legal publishing industry. So when I landed in Miami, I was very uh, excited about the motion in the market here. And DRIA was formed in 1996. I came along in 1997 to be on the board. And um, it was just really exciting because the market here moves so fast for certainly for single family residences. And uh, the organization was just simply formed so that people could get together and exchange ideas about deals and indeed exchange deals. Uh, this was before the proliferation of the internet. We used to do fax blasts, if you can believe it, on mail postcards. Postcards. But, postcards. Yep. <laughs> but it's exactly where people can meet. We always try to have a meeting where there's a bar. And uh, we, we have educational series, and which is now developed into Viju and I, with another partner, have a full-blown mentoring program. But nonetheless, the monthly meetings are where people can meet, network, and make some money. Interesting. And everybody's about making money, especially these times when people are sort of watching their nickels because uh, who knows what the future is. Right. And we have a, you know, we have a group of vendors that comes every, every month that specialize in helping investors work with investors. And also there's a, you know, a good amount of investors that come out um, and a lot of deals are done at the bar. Nice. Yes. Nothing. What, what could go wrong at the bar? Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, people come looking for money, they'll find it. They need a contractor, they'll find it. They need inspections, they'll find it. They need insurance, they'll find it. They need a title company. And this is really important. If you need a title company that understands real estate investors, flippers, wholesalers, and if you don't know what a wholesaler is, you really need to attend DRIA, um, you know, that's where you find it. That's why we're there. Okay, uh, now, 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 you guys have both said some stuff that's very interesting. Before we get there, let me ask you some questions, if I may. Sure, Jim. Jim, where where are you originally from? I'm originally from Oklahoma. Oklahoma oil. You're an oil o guy. Oklahoma City. Yes, I started. I worked for Standard Oil for many years. Interesting, interesting, interesting. As you know, oil oil has a real history in Florida. Why? Because of uh, Flagler. One who laid the tracks. He was he was tied in with Rockefeller when they first uh, when they made their money, and then Flagler decided to bring the tracks down. So oil's got a history here. Interesting. And you got to Miami in what what year, Jim? I got here in 1991. I by then switched to publishing, and I worked for a company called American Lawyer. Got it. Got it. Got it. And real estate was always something you did in Oklahoma. It was something you did when you got here to uh, South Florida. I, I, how'd you my get the real was, estate my mother, No, I was a business person. My mother was a broker and my father held properties and, and I really was interested in it, but I was too busy working, making a living. And so when I got here running one of the biggest legal publishing companies in, 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 the, uh, in Florida, I became very interested in how the legal process worked and the opportunities uh, that were, you know, come, come from tax deeds because we had to publish the tax certificate list. 
We published the foreclosures, probates, the whole works. And so I eventually, you know, retired from there and became a full-time um, wholesaler and then later uh, a money lender. And that's how Biju and I met through the club. That's actually how we met. He, he and his wife uh, joined the club back in the, in the late 90s, or early 2000s. Early 2000s. Yeah, it was just so fascinating to me. And uh, real estate, to me, beat publishing. And I, I guess that's kind of where you landed, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, interesting. So, in the late '90s, when you were coming into the marketplace, what what was the marketplace like for real estate back in the back in the '90s, uh, late late '90s, when Drio was actually formed? Well, I remember when it was hard to sell a house in Miami Shores, and if anyone doesn't know what Miami Shores is, it's a very nice, affluent Upper Northeast Side um, area, um, and the areas just south of here were were ver- were just very low rent districts and now there's some of the highest uh, money real estate uh, you can buy in miami yep so believe me i remember it was a slow moving thing that you made money in you made money by buying junk properties and selling them at higher prices which is what we do today it's just that prices are about four to six times higher wow 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 and and, in your portfolio roughly or how many how many let's put it this way not portfolio but let's say how many properties have you had equity in that uh, at some point that you've traded over the course of these, uh, you know, 25 years or so, 30 years? Oh, I can't count. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, yeah, we do, you know, 200 to between 200 and 300 properties a year. A year. Okay. So yeah. everybody out there is smarter than I am. So there's 365 days in a year and you guys are trading two to 300 properties per calendar yeah interesting okay now i don't want you to say too much more because again (laughs) we're gonna have a second segment and i want to sort of i want to bait the audience to listen to the second segment after obviously i put in a commercial so uh we 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 good with that yep sounds good all right perfect now now viju tell me about how you got to south florida and um uh how you were attracted to real estate um i was born in india grew up in jamaica came to Florida and uh, to uh, Miami, Miami Shores, um, Barry University, to do college in 99. Okay. And, um, you know, we were, we started college. When we finished college, we started looking at these infomercials. On, and I was, I'm, I'm a computer science major with an MBA. Wow. So, um, I, you know, I was an IT guy. And we wanted to do something on the side, and we started looking, uh, watching infomercials. And one of the things that say in the, at the end of the infomercial is, you know, end of the courses that you buy online um, is to join local reels. And that's how I ended up joining Drill, and you know, partnering with Jim. And I used to borrow uh, money from Jim to buy properties. Um, you know, and start rehabbing properties, buying properties, fixing it while, or during the weekends. And in the, um, uh, you know, I work a full-time job, so we were doing this part-time. And eventually started um, when um, the rehabbing business was getting so good, I resigned and started doing it full-time. Not bad. Well done. Um, and, and Vijay, I want to ask you, um, what you typically hear on the street, and this is from an investor perspective, is the key is when you're going to buy and rehab a place, 
you need to be able to get in, get it fixed up and get out in order to really maximize your profitability. Is that something you would agree with? And can you sort of elaborate on that concept and, and tell me if I'm wrong? Um, I, I look at it as you, when you buy, it, that's when you make money. Buying it right. That's the okay. key. You know, evaluating the you need to know how to evaluate it, the property right away. You know, we I look at a property once, you know, and I go and uh, make a decision on it. Uh, within two hours, I can say how much I'm going to buy it for, what I'm going to spend repairing it, and roughly how much I'm going to sell it for. You know, that's when you buy it, that's when you make money. Um, you need to have your crew ready. You need to have everything ready to move. You need to, you know, you need to have your architects ready. You need to have, you need to be able to go and get permits and get, know the city that you're working in. And, you know, it's, it should be a turnkey. It should be, when you buy the property, you should just jump in it and go with it. Got it. So, so as part of DRIA, and anybody, again, who doesn't remember what DRIA stands for, it's a Dade Real Estate Investors Association. Uh, and for what you, if maybe some of you don't realize, back in the day, Miami-Dade County was actually called Dade County. Miami was added to the name of the county. It was named after some, I don't know, what, what was it, guys? It was some, some general or something with the U.S. military back in the day during the Seminole uh, Wars and things like that, the actual name Dade I have no idea. Jim, do you know? No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so anyways, that's what DRIA is. That's why it's DRIA and it's not Miami De- uh, 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 M- DRIA. So that, that's why it's called DRIA, just to give everybody, just to make sure that there's sort of no confusion out there. Right. Now, um, uh, gentlemen, tell me a little bit about the, uh, the organization. How, how, how often do you do your events, let's say pre-COVID days, and then tell me how you're doing your events now in the, the COVID uh, era? Well, pre-COVID, we were very regular. We meet, we meet the, we meet the third Wednesday of every month and have done since 1996. Our current home, besides the internet, is Miami Shores Country Club, and uh, of course, they are not able to accept guests now. But we also do weekend events, uh, other other ancillary educational events. We do a getting started workshop. We do tax deed workshops. Plus, we have uh, a tuition based mentoring course now Vijay, i'll let okay. you tell them what we're doing now <laughs> well well if i if i could pause you Vijay, before right. you do that so just so the audience is clear because again our crowd is from buenos aires up to toronto from uh singapore over to uh, uh london um do you need to have a real estate license in order to participate in your your uh in the dria organization Absolutely not. And in fact, until I had a real estate license, we used to joke, all you really need is a driver's license. <laughs> and you don't even need that. Yeah. <laughs> but you need you need driver's license to close, you know, to close your deals. So um, exactly. Okay. Okay. So you don't you don't need a driver's license. <laughs> and and um uh you, you need it what? A curiosity and potentially some uh some money. Do you, do you need money to go to one of your meetings uh pre-COVID and um and what about post-COVID? Well, there are membership levels available. Meetings are twenty dollars uh, per per meeting for the Wednesday night meetings, the once a month. And okay. if you call VJ or me up and say, "Hey, I've never been," one of us will, you know, give you a pass for free. Membership gets you in every month. It's like one hundred ninety-nine bucks a year. 
you save money. But more than that, it, it affiliates you with the community. We say, if you want to do this business, you have to hang out with people in the business. And that's what we are. And that's who comes to our club is people who are in the business. That's what ARIA, a real estate investor association, is all about. A place to meet people. And they might be rehabbing. They might be wholesaling. They might be uh, rent landlords. But it's a place to come to associate with people of like mind. And yes, many real estate agents come because they want to be investors or they want to sell to investors. I see. So, so effectively, put it in layman's terms, it's like a marketplace, just like you would go to a market and you could uh, in, in a different country, necessarily, again, pre-COVID. Um, where you could go there, you could pick up, uh, you could pick up apparel, you could pick up food, you could pick up uh, batteries, anything like that. Basically, everything is being cleared there. Everybody has their uh, presentation, and if you want to cut through a lot of the BS and make it very efficient, going to something like Dria could be very uh, worth your time. Absolutely, per- absolutely, and you know, putting it that way, it's awesome. I, I mean, you with your journalist ideas came up with that, uh, Jim. We didn't even think about it. That way. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on, come on. Don't try to butter me up. You're probably afraid I'm going to bust your ass on some hard questions later on. No, it's true. Okay, so, so you, you, you don't need a driver's license to attend one of the meetings. Um, uh, potentially, you want to be a member. Um, anything else in terms of someone sitting out there uh, thinking, okay, I want to go to one of the next DRIA meetings once you guys can actually get together. Is there anything else they need to keep in mind just in terms of uh, preparation or rules of engagement? before we get into some of the more details on a macro basis. Anything else they need besides curiosity and potentially an entrance fee? Just open mind about real estate investing and just to learn. Just I always tell everybody, just come and observe and just talk to people. That's all you have okay. to do. Be ready to talk to everybody you see. You know. Just... And, and, and the people who are at the meetings, um, again, pre, because I'm assuming you guys are going to bring it back once you can. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm assuming the people who are at the meetings, they're looking to do business as well. They're not they're not there with an attitude like you'll get with some realtors. And I speak from experience. You get a realtor who's pushing back. They think they're better, they're smarter, they're blah, blah, blah. These people are actually business people, and they want to do deals, correct? Correct. They want to talk to you. They're going, I'm telling you, people just – when I just started, that's what I, where I learned a lot from, just talking to people, talking to hard money lenders, asking them how it works, talking to a title company. I mean – some of the title company will even meet with you afterwards, come and come into your office and tell you about the deals. We we usually, we have events with title companies and mortgage brokers, realtors, uh, people who are doing short sale, just, uh, you know, we have events with them. So they'll teach, uh, they'll teach you. So that's, you know, everybody wants to do, that's how you make money, you, you, you know, you, you have people get involved in, in with you, and more they know, the more they will bring to, to the table, right? Right. Yep. 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 Now, 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 Vijay, you said something very interesting, at least to me and possibly to our audience. What What if someone's a little bit intimidated? Um, you know, they they see these programs, they listen to my podcast, hopefully exclusively, but they're listening, they're trying to gather the information, but they're a little timid about coming in. They're afraid they're going to ask a stupid question. Um, what you guys have a mentoring program. Can you sort of walk me through or give me some ballpark about how you can basically handhold somebody who has a curiosity and an interest and how you can sort of help them get ramped up so they feel like they have a lot of confidence? Jim. Well, I think, I think one of the things Viju said is key. You have to have an open mind. 
because the key to real estate is buying right. And the way we teach people is to fail forward. Real estate, if you, Peter, you may agree or may not agree, but it's, it's one of a relatively risk-free business in terms of like your deposit and things like that with huge leverage, huge leverage. And there's no margin calls, you know, stocks might fall to zero, but real estate doesn't. Sure. We've seen it go down, but as a rule, it doesn't do that. So that's why a lot of people are interested. And if you take time to learn how to negotiate, how to select the properties that will get you where you want to go, there are a lot of niches in real estate, you know, whether you want to buy and hold rehab or just wholesale, you still, it all starts with buying right. And that's what our mentor program teaches you about. It's a lot of practice. It's a lot of psychology. It's not legal advice. It's not accounting advice, but we do use the same forms everybody else uses. We don't, there's no tricks. We don't use special agreements to trick sellers. You know, you can take an agreement that we use and go to any lawyer in town because it was written by the Florida bar. So there's, there's no trickery in it. It's simply following through, making offers and following through as in any sales job. We yep. just make it a little easier. We have a backend software and we make that part of it easier. Right. Easier means you can do it in few seconds. We can make yeah. we can make offers in few seconds. But you know, we teach you I mean, you know, we, we focus in Florida because we know so Florida very well. We've been doing business here for a long time. And mm -hmm. we you know, we teach you we, we hold your hand, you know, one on one, we teach you how to do it, how to do it properly. So so then the then the question becomes someone sitting out there is why would you share your intellectual property, i.e. your knowledge and your experience? Why would you share with someone else who might be your competitor? Well, that's a very good question. And there are four of us in the mentoring program. And we, well, you want to do this the second segment, but we share deals with our students, right? That's how we are, get to participate in so many deals. Got it, got it, got it. So that's got what it. we have a okay. vested interest in their success because we don't just take money for tuition. The big money that we make comes from doing deals with the students and we require at least two. I see, I see, I see. Okay, that makes sense. And then uh, another general, uh, or Avijay, did you wanna, did you wanna add anything? No, no, it's, that's, okay. that's exactly so, what. So let, let me ask another big picture question again, before we get, uh, you know, in the second segment, uh, we'll, we'll talk about what you guys are seeing, what the trends are, things like that. Another big quick, uh, big picture question is, again, someone might be sitting in London and they're saying, well, you know what, I'm sick of this. I want to go over to South Florida. I want to invest. I want to do what I want to do. The problem is, is every time I look for a property, I have to get in this multiple listing service, which is a database of realtors. And therefore, I got to work with a realtor. Maybe I want to do it on my own. How do you guys go about um, identifying properties? And do you use realtors? And um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, just like the makeup or the range of some of the properties you guys are bird dogging as you do the, uh, you know, two to 300 deals a year? Jim. But look, uh, first and foremost, yes, we use realtors. Realtors are our friends. But, but okay. and, and so that's what we call low-hanging fruit. Our proprietary system. Uh, shows us all the for sale properties, but just as important, it shows us all the not for sale properties. And we, we can break them down into potential short sales, uh, probates, people who are deceased, um, tax deeds. We can research all those various things. 
and and a, a, someone looking for a deal has to look for a situation. If a seller talks to you about price, 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 they're not motivated to sell. If they talk to you about why they need to sell, or if you know their situation, why they need to sell, then you have a motivated seller. And that's the only people we like to buy from is people who are motivated. So yes, the better deals are off market and public information is amazing what you can find, but we do use a proprietary system that refines it. We can sort data like you can't imagine. But in the end, in the end, it all involves personal contact with a seller or a real estate agent. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. Thanks for clarifying for people. I think that's going to make a little bit of a difference so they can understand it. So generally speaking, gentlemen, when, when someone in the audience hears shadow inventory, they don't know what it means. You effectively work in shadow inventory because not only are you hitting the realtor stuff, which is in the MLS, you're hitting all the other opportunities, which many people call shadow because they don't know how to track it. Correct. Perhaps that's true. Correct. Yeah. Um, yes. Correct. And, correct. And also, you know, we even go on door knock, find a, a nice. you know, find a vacant home, go knock on the door. Or Make sure way. you have your mask on, V2. You better be I wearing know. that. Mask. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, yes. So, so that you know, there's a lot of different opportunities out there. You just have to get it and go at it. And that uh, you know, for people who are out of the country and stuff, we also help people build portfolios. You know, uh, we have turned two million dollar portfolio to four million, five million dollars. We have, you know, we have built quite a bit of portfolios for people, you know, auto auto country people and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, gentlemen, we're we're coming up to the end of uh, segment number one, but I, I do want to ask two questions that are more big picture. Uh, Jim, you were referring to tax liens. This might be a concept that is foreign to members of our audience who maybe are in different states or different countries. Can you just give us like a real layman's terms of uh, perspective or explanation what a tax lien is and, and how it sort of well, works? Well, sure. The, the local taxing authorities throughout the United States want their money for property taxes every year. And if you don't pay it, they auction off the right for someone else to pay it in terms of earning a percentage. So let's say my house taxes are $4,000 and I don't pay them. An investor might pay it and in exchange for the right to collect 5% interest from me per year until I do. If I don't pay it within a certain period of time in Florida, it's two years after it's bought, uh, the investor in that certificate say, hey, Jim did not pay me. I want to foreclose on his property. Would you send it to auction? Uh, and so that's what, that's what a tax deed auction is. So it's certificate first, right, which simply allows yep. me to borrow his money, um, and then I pay it back. Or if I don't pay it back, then the investor can say, hey, Jim did not pay. Please auction the property so that I can get my money back. Now, that's and that's, you know, that's throughout the United States pretty much. And, and just to add in case somebody uh, might have a, something missing, basically, the governments operate with real estate taxes. If you are an owner, you don't can't pay your real estate tax. The government still needs to fund the police uh, uh, police uh, uh, officers. The firefighters, everyone else. So what do they do? They look to a, an alternative party who's going to give them the cash, this being the government. Then that alternative party now takes the role of the government and they get to collect or they get to run down the property tax. That's Am exactly I right about that, Joe? Right. Sorry, I, I should have been more explicative, but that's that's correct. 
Okay. Okay. And then my, my final question, guys, uh, for this uh, first segment is um, obviously we're in uh, the COVID era. Uh, you guys are still doing your regular meetings. If someone is listening out there uh, and says, you know, this is really interesting. I want to find out more. I'm very curious. Um, how do they sort of participate up until the day they can actually meet you in person and attend one of your meetings in Miami Shores on the third Wednesday of every month? But uh, what we've been doing lately since I think March, we've been doing um, every third Wednesday a Zoom meeting. Um, okay. And also we've been doing, you know, weekly um, Zoom interviews. Uh, you know, we've been interviewing landlords, um, property managers, lawyers. Um, I think we're going to do another one next week. So just um, uh, shoot us an email to Jim at drea.com or Viju at drea.com and we'll add it to the list. And, you know, we've been having two, 300 people on these yeah. calls. And I, I think that it'd be a great way to, to, to see what we do. Visit drea.com anytime and you'll find out about our next event. We're on Facebook, Drea Club. Uh, you can learn a lot. And we've been doing these little vignettes. Viju did one with a, a, a whole uh, last week. Uh, we call them Drea Streets, Street Talk. But we are actually interviewing people in the field. And anyone around the world can see those. We, in, we interviewed a guy building a house. We did a guy who sold a house. So it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it, it's opened up what we do uh, to not be able to go to the country club. We're now exposing the real world of Miami investing or Southward investing to everyone. It's beautiful. And, and again, so people know it's Drea, D-R-E-I-A.com, Drea.com in order to That's get correct. more information. And uh, if they want to send an email, again, they send it to Jim at Drea.com or Viju at Drea.com. Yep. Okay. And Viju, if anybody's wondering, is V like Victor, I, J like Jerry, U. Yep. Okay, gentlemen. Um, thanks for walking me through the big picture. I now want to take a break. Um, I want to peddle some services with one of our commercials. And then on the other side, I'm going to ask you some bigger picture questions. What's going on with the marketplace and how people can make money. So we'll catch you on the other side of this commercial break. You're listening to the Condo Vultures podcast. Don't buy a South Florida condo discounted or distressed before taking a Condo Vultures correction tour. CondoVultures.com offers weekly bus and walking tours that focus on educating buyers on the how-tos of identifying discounted condos, analyzing the opportunities, and purchasing units. Every tour attendee receives a list of all condo projects in a particular market, a market assessment handout, and unmatched expert analysis. For more information on the condo correction tours, please visit condovultures.eventbrite.com or call 305-865-5859. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. We are in the process of having a conversation about the Dade Real Estate Investors Association. Effectively, what it is, it's a marketplace for bringing together all different types of trades, interest levels, money people, buyers, sellers, you name it. Everybody's sort of happening. Marketplace, much like you'd find if you went to a, uh, a foreign country and you wandered in a market and you could pick up everything from uh, vegetables to batteries to clothing. That's effectively what Drea is. I'm fortunate enough to have the two uh, partners who run it. Jim Pamplin and Viju Kutungo. Viju, did I get it right this time? You got time? it right this time. <laughs> I see. I'm getting there. Yep. I'm getting there. I'm smarter than I look. <laughs> so, 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 guys, um, uh, 
COVID hit, uh, business was going very well before COVID happened. Um, and everybody's concerned about the future. Can you guys give us some perspective uh, in terms of South Florida? What was happening up until that time in March when effectively Florida got shut down and the United States effectively got shut down? Could you guys walk me through how this winter was going? Remember, in South Florida, we had the Super Bowl. We had a series of events going on. Everybody was rolling in. Prices were going up. Interest rates were record lows. Unemployment was record low. These are great times in the United States. What, what, take me up to COVID and now, now give me some perspective of what's happened since uh, the stay-at-home orders have been put in place, if, if you can. Before COVID, the market was moving along nicely and uh, sellers were somewhat inflexible. We were still getting deals. And after COVID, sellers were still inflexible. Prices have been holding. Now the volume is less. Inventory is down compared to pre-COVID. And indeed, in our wholesale business, I'll let Biju address this, we lost a few deals. But the retail deals that we were involved in and that we knew of did not fail. Uh, In fact, all parties, the banks, the real estate brokers, everybody worked to get them closed. And we are still seeing retail deals closed. Now, Vijay, tell them what happened to our wholesale deals that were sort of in the can, so to speak, when COVID hit. And and guys, just for clarification, Vijay, before you answer that, can you, can you guys differentiate wholesale from retail for the audience? Okay. The Miami is a, and South Florida is a very fast moving market. There's a lot of people who buy properties who don't have the time to go look for them. A wholesaler is someone like Viju or like, like our group does, who goes out and buys a property that is suitable for someone else to take and finish, either rehab, turn it into a rental or hold it. Um, we buy them at a discount. Our market window as a wholesaler, think about this, is two weeks. That's all we care about what's going to happen in the market when we tie a property up and resell it, okay? Or close on it and resell it. Okay. Retail market is just that, a property that's listed for sale on the open market uh, for sale by owner or with, re- uh, with uh, real estate agents. And rehabbers, that's their focus. They want to buy a property from a wholesaler or from a seller, add value, and then they look forward 60, 90 days to reselling it. So, so generally speaking, most properties that people see on, let's call it the MLS, are probably retail versus a lot of the wholesale stuff. That's really where the value is, but it definitely needs a lot of tender love and care, I would imagine. Correct. And, you know, most wholesalers, we, you know, it's, as Jim says, a two-week window. So that's where the, the time of the market don't really matter to us as a wholesaler. When I'm a wholesaler, I'm a rehabber, I, I do both. We, we do both, you know. So we, we also, we wholesale, we rehab, we retail. So we know what's happening Got in it. the market. And we also hold properties for rental. And we use those properties to build portfolios. So we are, you know, we have our hands in all three different type of uh, market. Um Back to the question where, um, what happened to the pro- we, So we had some wholesale deals. We had uh, quite a bit of wholesale deals in the, in, in the, in the pipeline. And we had two of them fell through one because the hard money lender, uh, the end buyer who was buying the property, the hard money lender, uh, pulled out, uh, because, um, they wanted to reduce the, um, the percentage they were lending and. In turn, we resell, we sold it to somebody else, but 
It took long. So, 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 so basically, basically uh, it, was, second, it was a financing issue. Okay. It was a financing issue. This, the second one, the buyer, you know, they just, they, they just didn't come true. Um, got scared, um, and she, she just didn't want to invest in at that time. And, I'll, and it's, I'll, it's one of our rental properties. I'll hasten, so I'll hasten to add though that people wholesale buyers were out there, but just like everybody else, they didn't know what the heck was going to happen. And they got a little bit skittish mm -hmm. uh, because wholesale people, yeah. the people that do our business, Peter, yeah. are like you. We don't have a paycheck coming in. Eat what you and, kill. <laughs> they, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. So you're you're, you're dependent on on what's going on in the market, very very much so. So uh, it has turned around. Uh, wholesalers are out buying, which means people are going to start looking to rehab, and. Um, and, and Vijay mentioned a term. I want to be sure everybody understands what a hard money lender is. You know, when you're buying a house that needs repair, uh, Bank of America or any other bank is not going to loan you the money. I don't care what kind of credit you have. They're not going to loan you money on a house that, that needs extensive repairs or won't pass certain types of required inspections. Yes. So hard money or equity lenders will loan based on the future of the uh, ARV is what we call it, uh, the, the value. After After repair repair value. And they'll look at the equity in the house and they'll make a loan and they underwrite it themselves as a rule. And, and they typically put the money on the street or the financing. How, how quickly? Oh, uh, no, good. Go Funding within yeah, a couple it's, of days. It's, it's a short term thing. Hence, hence the term wholesale. Got it. Got right. It, got it. Uh, Vijay, did you want to add anything right. about uh, the deals that had fallen through? Or... Yeah, so the the one I was telling you about, she just didn't want to. It was right at the you know end of March where everything was nobody knew what was going on, and the buyer just didn't want to move forward. And it was one of our rental properties that we were selling, so we just kept it. Um, so and the other one that fell through, we just found another buyer for it and moved on. So you know and. So the you know for us is still moving. Things are after the first couple of weeks of this shutdown. I think um, buyers realize uh, well, especially rehabbers realize that their um, retail properties are selling. So they need to get their rehab. They need to get their machines still going. I mean, they have to buy, fix, and sell. And they realize that they're selling. Their retail properties, so they have to buy. I see, and so. you know, we, we keep talking about some of these properties, and these are primarily houses, right? Single family houses, and they're Single primarily Miami Dade, yes. Broward, Palm Beach counties. They're just specifically Dade. No, Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, primary. I mean, we go out further, further north, but 90 percent is and, Dade, to, Broward. To give people some perspective, um, what, what are we talking about per house or per per door? What, 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 what do they trade for on a wholesale basis? What do they trade for on a retail basis? And again, not to hold you to it, but just in, in their minds, maybe they want to calculate it at Colombian pesos or, or euros or whatever the case may be. What can, yeah. can you give a ballpark um, idea? About it, 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 it varies. Um, I usually tell everybody, you know, it, it varies because if I'm wholesaling a property in Miami Shores, which retail for 700s, you know, I'm trying to buy it for in the 
4500 nice. region you know um depending on the amount of work yes. you need to do this the sweet spot changes in the in the in the areas where people can qualify the most in the 250 to 350 area you know we we have to pick it up so that there's enough margin to make a small profit as well as do all of the work so i would say for uh, rehabbers the sweet spot for especially first time home buyers uh, in our area is 250 to, to 350 uh, maybe even less if you can but we wholesale homes in all ranges we've done uh, a property in Miami Beach uh, right on uh, one of the pine tree drive uh, all the way down to you know what my favorite street which I call <laughs> piece of crap street which is which, which means there's probably going to be value there then you could add yeah, exactly 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 because we have to remember, we don't live in these houses. Uh, the, the successful rehabber will make a property look like the neighborhood, whether that is Miami Beach or whether that is an area that's uh, up and coming. Generally speaking, when you guys go into one of these deals, whether you're doing it on a wholesale basis or a retail basis, again, wholesale meaning you're buying it, looking to flip it or retrade in two weeks versus the retail, we're looking to put some tender loving care in there and maximize it. What, what, what kind of percentages, and obviously there's no guarantees, there's none of that type of stuff, but what are you guys going thinking percentage-wise? What, what are you going to make on your money, uh, ballpark, and obviously things change, stuff like that. But when you get that question, and the audience probably has it, what, what, what do you sort of say to them? Well, for, for rehabs, the percentage is interesting because some people don't invest any of their money in it. They borrow it. Believe it or not, there are people who've been doing this business so long they can borrow 100%. But let's say you borrow. Let's say you borrow. You're, you're making a buy for yep. 200 grand, and you're going to put in 20000 plus another fifty. That's 70000 And if you make a profit, profit of 50000 well, you can do the math. If you make a profit of uh, 40000 so we look in terms of numbers. But your return on actual cash invested, uh, we're not talking 10% here. You've got to, you've got, if you're going to take this kind of risk, you need a home run uh, of at least 30 to 50% on the money you have invested if you're borrowing the money. Now, for wholesaling, um, I know this may sound weird, uh, you can have a zero investment. So if you make $5,000 and you've invested zero money, what's your return? So that's how you have to look at it. I mean, very rarely do I put down all of my cash for a wholesale deal. But even if I do, if I make $10,000 on a wholesale yep. deal in a day, because I buy and sell the same day, and I make just $10,000, what's my annual rate of return? I can't right, even right, do that right. in my I like how that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so uh, uh, all right. right. So that's how we, that's so, how we uh, approach our Yeah, business. I agree. And our wholesale deals, you know, will average about 14 to 18 grand a deal. Uh, but we might have a deal that's home yeah. run that is, you know, 30,000. 30, I mean, we did, we closed on one today. I think it was like uh, $11,000. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, I so, just got the money, as a matter of fact. You know, 11,000. Yeah. Um, but we've done as high as 49,000. We, we sold a, I, I left the country one time having picked up three properties and um, 
Viju was in, in our business. I try to bring the properties in, Viju tries to put them out. And uh, oh my gosh, it was like 56 grand on the package. Was, I'm sure it was. It was. That's a great, great uh, spending money they have on your way out of, out of town. I mean, we were involved in a uh, yeah. uh, warehouse flip, I think, uh, two years ago, where the profit was 900 and something thousand dollars. It was a six million dollar deal. Wow. Uh, you know, so now, 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 guys, some people might have heard in the past. And I just want to sort of give you some, uh, give a, give us some perspective. Some of the people might have seen when they were driving off the interstate and they saw a sign, "We buy ugly houses, we'll buy your house." Um, can you guys sort of talk about that? Is that is that part of your business? Do you do that? Is that the competition? Is that complementary? Can you just sort of, you know, because people probably have that question. Well, you know, that's changing to the internet, but yes, yes. That is exactly what we do. People have different needs. Let, let's say you you have uh, you lost a loved one who owned a house, and you don't even know how to do a probate, yes. much less sell the house. You know, you need to you need to have a resource, which is these billboards or us, uh, to help you get through the transaction, to help you uh, sell the house that needs to be cleaned out, that hasn't been main, properly maintained for twelve to fifteen years, and so. It is not a marketable house on yes. the open retail market. It doesn't qualify for financing. You don't want to clean it out. You just want to take the boibles you want and leave it to someone else. That's what we do. That's what the people on the signs do. And it's a market. It's not a new market. It's been around forever. But in the South Florida area, the volume, there's enough for everybody. There's just so many transactions here per and year. And I think the audience is, who's listening is probably saying, you know what? Now I understand why Peter wanted to get Viju and Jim um, on this podcast. Because you just laid it out right there. And it makes all the sense in the world. I don't think anybody's going to have any questions about that. Now, now, one thing I do want to ask you before I ask you to kind of look forward. Um, we were I, I asked you that question. Uh, what do you expect to make on it? Now, one of the things that could change when you're basically doing a rehab, especially on one of these retail projects, is contractors contractors cost of construction materials so what i'm wondering gentlemen is what's happened on the contractor side in terms of those people doing the work pre-covid versus post-covid and have there been any changes anything material that you know you need to factor in or you need to work around now because we have social distancing and all the rest of those things it's just the the timing it has gone it has it's been taking longer since since i said march reason being picking up material it's much harder home depot i mean i don't know if you guys have been to home depot it's always the line a... is terrible to get in exactly <laughs> the line is crazy um so it's been taking longer because of that it's been costing a little more to do stuff because you know and you have to be you know these guys you don't want i mean they're you know you you, you they're they're going out there standing up for three hours to pick up materials for you then they have to go to work they're off days done so it's taking longer. It's, it's, it's more frustrating, um, but we are getting through it. We are we are getting through it. Um, I think uh, like the other day we are replacing a couple of AC units, and it's it's taking instead of getting it in next day, we're it's taking like two three days to get get the AC unit in. So we're seeing delays like that. So 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 if two weeks is yeah. the is the optimum. Uh, have you guys expanded to maybe a month now in terms yeah. of on your your wholesale flips or? No, no. 
No, the wholesales okay. would work the same. It, it's just a function of getting Got people it. to look at the property. It's the rehabbers. It's the rehabber guys that are being, you know, and this every every delay equates in, yep. in cost of money. Now, I, I will say, though, that before COVID, before COVID, beginning last fall, Vijay was telling me, you know, we're seeing a, a rise in our commodities that we use, like just sinks and marble and, and porcelain and, and things like that that comes from overseas where the tariffs yes. have increased. That That's in fact impacted cost uh, as much as anything else. And it's right. not chump change either. Yeah, Interesting yeah, point. Yeah. So you're talking about all the trade war stuff. Yeah. yeah. You, you bet. That's an interesting point. But what, what about on the labor side? Has labor changed from those contractors, given the fact we went from, you know, three and a half percent unemployment to suddenly what's ever saying is going to be north of uh, uh, 20 percent? Has there been any kind of cost savings there simply because there's more workers than, um, than than employers right now? I haven't seen anything. I've, I've seen the price going up a little bit because of um, because of the time it's taking longer to do stuff. But I, you know, it just. Uh, but for me, it's different because I'm not. I use the same people I've been using, and I'm not. You know, I know they're, you know, doing good jobs, yeah. so I kind of keep them going. Got it. Got it. Now, 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 gentlemen, both of you were on the ground, and both of you were very prosperous uh, during the uh, last real estate cycle in South Florida, which was 2003 to 2010. You guys were able to hit it on both sides when it was going up and then when it was going down. Um, uh, can one of you talk to a little bit about, uh, uh, what, what you guys were doing last cycle and also too, if you can, if you can tap into or talk about some of the big hedge fund money that moved in and started buying single family houses, uh, when many people thought they would be buying vertical condos, they were actually buying single family houses. Can you guys talk about, um, last cycle? And then I'm going to ask you obviously to compare it to, to what's going on with this current process in terms of, you know, a, a catechismic of, event. Well, I'll just start by saying, let Vijay finish. We were selling to the hedge funds, for heaven's sakes. We were, we were buying, taking them down, and reselling. And and these these so this is an example of those stories where you have the Black Rocks of the world who build up portfolios of single family houses. Uh, so they were using guys like you to identify and ultimately source right. their their housing demand. Yeah, before they developed their own infrastructure to do it. They had to rely on on the locals on on the field, and we knew where the inventory was. Yep, That's we were selling. Uh, they they came to us and we were selling. We were just selling a whole bunch of stuff, even fixed up properties. Um, the ones that we were retailing, they were buying. The ones we were wholesaling, they were buying. Till they got their infrastructure in place, where they had 30, 40 people just buying out there, which didn't really affect our market either. But it just you know, but we did sell to almost all of you know yeah the big guys the black rocks or whoever they were who started this out then we had the edge front from you know the south american edge funds that came in and started yes. buying then we had the european edge funds that came in you know so and there's and, and, go ahead oh i was gonna say so 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 last cycle you guys were there supplying the need while the market was going up and then you were supplying the need while the market was going down. Is that an accurate way to say it? Yeah. You know, that's, that's, you know, as, as Jim said, you know, our market is not, it's what's happening right there. It's, it's a two week cycle, right? Two week. Yep. So it's not, it doesn't matter where we just, if we get it right, we sell it right. Yep. 
Now, now, now last, last time we went through an issue with the Great Recession, um, that had to do with financing issues and people being over leveraged and fraud and a variety of other things. This time we're going through a situation where it's actually people's health. Um, could you guys maybe talk about what, what you're seeing going on? Can you compare and contrast kind of what we're faced with right now, whether or not this is going to be short term, this is long term? Can, can you kind of lay it out, the, the, you know, the best that you can guesstimate? Well, it's, 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 our, it's, it's the response to the health situation. In other words, there's not malfeasance going on that caused what's going on now. There was no, there's nobody buying condos uh, who makes $20,000 a year. They're buying, you know, an $800,000 condo. That's not what's happening. So the best that I can say, because my crystal ball is broken, <laughs> is that when the, when the forbearance jig is up, then we'll know what falls out. If, if for some reason forbearance continues in terms that people can deal with until they get jobs, I don't think we're going to see much slippage in prices at all. Right now, people aren't necessarily, there's no panic selling right now. There's no need for panic selling. Whether that will change, I can't tell you. It just depends on if the forbearance, uh, in other words, if the banks uh, delay payment and add it to the back of the loan for yet another three months or six months, uh, we may never see a blip in prices. But if they don't, you're going to see list pendants, in other words, legal actions increase. It's just, it's going to happen. But it's not going to increase because uh, something was wrong in the marketplace. It's going to increase because of response, people losing their jobs because of health concerns. Yes. So so my, my, my best understanding, and, and I'm not a mortgage broker, I'm not an attorney, so check with them. My best understanding is effectively, if someone has a mortgage that's backed by the federal government, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, um, which is typically going to be under, I think it's $515,000, then you can ask your lender to basically give you a forbearance, which means you don't have to pay your mortgage uh, in effect because of COVID for six months. And then you have the ability to renew for another, an additional six months for a grand total of a year. And it's roughly from April, which is when, or late March, when CARES Act was put in place, that trillion dollar uh, 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 stimulus package. So, so what people have said to me though is, uh, come day 366 of year two, uh, unless Congress takes steps, you could see a whole bunch of people who haven't been paying for the last year suddenly be hit with those legal actions, which are known as Liz pendants. Have you guys heard anything about that? Is that crazy? Is it, is it what you're hearing? What, what's sort of your sense on that? Well, sure, it's a possibility. But I, I've got to be honest with you. Um, I think if the jobs come back, if, if our economy does get going, if we have a vaccine by year's end, by early next year, um, and I have no forecast on that, that's for sure, people desire to work, and there's work, I think there will be work to do. Now, if, if we're still fighting the virus in June of 2021, Katie, bar the doors. I can't tell you what will happen. That prediction may come true. Um, but I don't look at it that way. I can't look at it that way. I, all I can do is is the, the see what's happening. Yeah, now. and you know, you? just even for rental market, um, you know, renters for us, uh, rents have been you know pretty much steady. I mean, people have been paying their rent for the last um, two months and no problem. And we've been getting um, letters from churches and. Uh, cities for to help tenants with their rent. So, 
I, as Jim said, I don't see anything changing till the forbearance change. You know, we hold portfolios of loans ourselves as well. And I have a, uh, I think we have, we did a couple of loans to uh, landlords and they're paying their mortgage payments because they're getting paid. Now, we're not the federal government. We're not giving them yes. any forbearance just because we're just guys with money that we, we eat off yes. of too. So, but as luck would have it, their tenants are paying, their tenants are paying. So I think it's not as widespread as we think yet. And, and is there a tipping point? Either of you are sort of looking uh, forward with, with the hope or dread. Is it the election coming up in November for the president? Is there, is there anything, I mean, what, 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 what's the next milestone you guys are looking at? Just as you factor in, uh, should I keep buying wholesale? Should I keep putting money on the street? Is, is there anything you guys are looking towards or at, whether it be unemployment rates, uh, it'd be removed by the Federal Reserve, anything like that? I think for me, the vaccine is going to make a big difference. The timeline of when the vaccine is going to come out. or uh... And I think that's right, as it would affect retail. Okay, so as we all know, when in times of uncertainty, there's times of opportunity because the future isn't as predictable. So my question, to, my last question to the two of you gentlemen is, is this a time to be active uh, based on your experience, or is this a time to be sort of uh, sitting on the sidelines? Uh, what say you, Biju? Um, I did an um, interview last week with a very a friend of mine who is a big wholesaler in, in the Tri-County, and he said, if you sit in the sideline, you're not making any money. You, you need to be ready to buy, so you cannot be on the sideline. You cannot be a spectator. You have to be, you have to keep going. And Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. And Jim? Yeah, this is what he specifically said. This is not the time to get out of the real estate business. This is the time to stay in and be ready. Yes, we have to read everything that comes our way. We have to analyze for our own predictions what's happening with the election, what's happening with COVID-19. But the bottom line is, when you stop making offers, you're dead in this business. So I yep. think that's what Viju's saying. Our, our tack is to evaluate loans very carefully. Our tack, wholesale doesn't matter. We don't care if the market goes up and down because we're only in two weeks. For retail, that's a different story. But we have, and we have to look out uh, six months. So we're gonna, we're gonna probably pay lower. Okay, that's the bottom line. Or we, we're, we're still building. We are building new construction. But, we are, we are rehabbing multifamily yeah. properties. So we are still doing stuff. And you need, yeah. that's the thing. You, have, you can't stop. You can't stop. Interesting, gentlemen. That was a fantastic use of uh, time. I, I really appreciate the two of you. Um, uh, taking time out of your schedules to, to do this. And I know the audience is going to absolutely love it. Uh, can, can you remind us again, how can the audience take advantage of some of that know-how, that knowledge, as well as the infrastructure you set up? What, what's the best way for them to, um, to find out more? Well, I invite you to visit Drea.com. And we have a couple of videos right on the front page about your interest. If you're interested in the real estate market, we have a whole section on wholesaling. And what does wholesaling mean? and what, how to get started in wholesaling. You'll also see upcoming events, uh, what we're doing online. So visit us at Drea.com. And we're also at Drea uh, on Face Club. Vijay, what is the Face, handle on Facebook? Face, Facebook, 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 Facebook. Uh, Drea Club. And the Drea Club. So, so it's a Drea Club on Facebook? Drea Club. Or they can go to Drea.com, D-R-E-I-A. 
or com you can, in order to find or out Or you more. can send us email directly to jim at drio.com or viju, V-I-J-U, at drio.com. Gentlemen, I hope you stay safe. I hope you keep doing the business, keep trading. This is exactly what the market needs because you're spending your money. You're, inve- you're employing people, doing a whole variety of things. So thank you for uh, coming out. Uh, that was Jim Pamplin and Viju Kutunga. Correct, you got, Viju? You got, got it right. right. <laughs> that, nice. Um, uh, sure. don't, don't go anywhere yet. Yeah. Uh, we On the other side of this commercial, we're going to have a roundtable of South Florida. Former journalists kicking around three biggest headlines that occurred in the real estate industry within the last week, and you don't want to miss what they have to say. You're listening to Counter Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zalewski. Challenging times for real estate call for experts that help you to navigate the new normal in the process of buying or selling property in South Florida. At CBR Realty, we listen carefully and advise based on stats, local knowledge, and experience. For more information, call us at 305-865-5859 or visit our website, cbrrealty.com. Welcome back to the Condo Vultures Podcast. This is Peter Zalewski. I'm your host. This is our South Florida uh, real estate roundtable that we're going to be discussing right now. Some three of the headlines that have occurred in the last week that we think are interesting, and we're going to offer our perspective on there. We have Oscar Musabai. Oscar's a former uh, real estate reporter who now is a partner in a marketing and public relations firm called Influence Communication. Mr. Musabai, are you out there? Yes, sir. How you doing, man? I'm ready to talk, man. Let's hit it. Ready to talk? Ooh, watch out. You're busting somebody's ass, I can tell. That's right. Somebody's coming after me. Nice, nice, nice. And the man, the legend, the gentleman who worked at a boiler room, the gentleman who sees colorful chickens, which are actually called peacocks. But in all reality, former white-collar crime reporter, former reporter of publicly traded companies in South Florida, and a gentleman who uh, runs a consulting firm for public relations and marketing. John Feckler. John, you there. Greetings, one and all. (laughs) Glad to be aboard. Great to have you, John. Great to have you. How are you doing? How's everything shaking out for yourself? I'm doing okay. It's a you know, just basically uh, batting down the hatches here with all this crazy rain. Um, Just trying to keep warm. It's getting a little cool out. Got a nice little my tea with me. It's slightly spiked, Um, but that's okay. And your 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 spike is spike of choice is what? <laughs> it's an ice one of those iced teas got a little bit of uh, nectar in it. Oh, nectar. Okay, yeah. so he's he's going to refuse to disclose, which is probably <laughs> a good thing. Yes, probably a good thing. Give, given your uh, portfolio that you're building with the boiler room uh, former job and the and the colorful chickens known as peacocks. Exactly, and I'm the big on product placement like Oscar is. So that's right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So we, because of the holiday, potentially Memorial Day holiday in the United States, we do not have any comments. So what we are planning to do is we're going to break up the, the three headlines into two segments. Should be a grand total of about 30 minutes or so for you, the audience. I'd encourage you to hang out for all of them. We're going to be hitting on macro, mini macro, and then micro, looking at national, then something on a rental perspective. And then finally, we'll wrap it up with what's actually going on in South Florida and particularly Miami-Dade County. Now, I like to bring value to these podcasts. I like to give people little tips uh, along the way. Besides everything we have to say, we can also, uh, I think we also give them some actionable information. So let me give you the actionable information was actually a fantastic hustle. If you're sitting out there in uh, the United States or possibly even Europe, maybe even parts of Asia for whatever that's worth. And you're worried about coronavirus. 
Let me tell you how you figure out if you got antibodies without having to pay for the test. How do you do it? You donate blood. I'm going to be donating blood this week. Ready to have an appointment. It's a 15-minute process. And what I'm being told is that the companies that are collecting blood, what they're actually doing is they're running the blood through a test to be able to uh, differentiate if the blood is clean or whether or not it's got antibodies from COVID. So what the, um, the company, it's called One Blood, it's a um, nonprofit organization. What, what they're doing is they're actually going to tell you in 48 hours whether or not you have antibodies. They want to know if you, you have antibodies because they want to carve out that blood and they want to send it to some of the victims of COVID-19 um, uh, here in the uh, United States. So whatever it's worth, you guys want to get a test, you want to know if it's got antibodies, this is what they're saying uh, is actually an effective, efficient way. And for what it's worth, for me donating blood, the, the company, One Blood, they're actually offering a little kicker. I think I get a free lunch. So, Look at that. that. That sounds pretty good. Actionable information, there you gentlemen. Go. Actionable. That's it. All right. So let me give you my headline. My headline actually comes out of the uh, New York Times. The headline is Goldman Sachs. Probably the most powerful country in the world. Company. It's a joke. Uh, Large investment bank uh, run out of the, the United States, but they're all over the world. Um, uh, Henry Paulson, Hank Paulson, the gentleman who basically structured everything after the Great Recession with Troubled Asset Relief Program, known as TARP, his former uh, organization. They've now foreclosed on 10,000 homes for what they're calling consumer relief, in quotes. Let me tell you what the New York Times headline is. It says, to make amends for its part in the collapse of the housing market during the 2008 financial crisis, Goldman Sachs promised 12 point, excuse me, $1.8 billion in consumer relief to struggling homeowners. The penance was also a business opportunity. Four years after agreeing to help homeowners in a civil settlement with the federal prosecutors, the Wall Street firm has become one of the biggest buyers of distressed mortgages, an area of investing that uh, deals in loan modifications and foreclosures to borrowers who can't make their payments. Actually, they're number two behind number one for what it's worth. If you look at the article, Lone Star Funds out of Dallas, Texas. So Goldman's buying foreclosed homes, and they're also foreclosing on borrowers. <laughs> What's that you, gentlemen? It's, uh, it's more of the same. I mean, basically what it means is that the, the in quotes, reforms of 2008 went nowhere because Goldman was one of the major provocateurs in the crash of 2008. Exactly. By selling junk, these bags of broken mortgages to funds, you know, to uh, all kinds of different funds all retirement funds all over the country people who were older who were you know middle-aged who were younger who were putting their money in 401ks into these large funds or teachers into you know funds that were investing in these bonds that were tied to bad mortgages and at the same time that they were recommending these they were dumping their positions in those same blocks of investment so clearly their role in the market is to completely uh fluster or or undermine the integrity of the process i mean it's 
it's it should be a surprise considering who we have in the White House. But at the <laughs> same time, consider that. No politics, gentlemen. Hold on, no hold on. politics. Hold we on. don't Give want to chance. offend one way or another. <laughs> Give me a chance here. So when Obama was in office, no one was. Pro- I think it was only one guy was prosecuted for uh, helping to contribute to the crash in 2008. So everybody was given either a settlement or this kind of sweetheart deal like Goldman was. So it's not to say that Trump is the only one. I mean, I think Obama made a lot of mistakes in this regard and we're continuing to suffer from it. So now, now, now let me give you the kicker. Mm-hmm. The kicker is all the loans that uh, Goldman is taking back and actually able to resell. So again, this is more actionable information for our audience. Mm-hmm. They're reselling the mortgages of the homes at an average of 170 grand a door. Mm. Wow. Wow. So what does that mean? That means, A, it's affordable if you're an investor, and B, you're killing the comps in a neighborhood and or a building because stuff trading at 170. Now, granted, middle America, that's one thing, but in South Florida, 170 grand, that sounds like a cabana and an extra parking space at a condo. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine who uh, whose family owns a an apartment in New York that in a building where the comps were at like 1.6 million. And when this person told me the price, I said, what is that? Like a two bedroom? She said, yes, it's a two bedroom. (laughs) So in our market, 170 doesn't buy you all that much, right? No, 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 no. Not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we're not at New York rates yet, but we're competing to become as un- uh, unattainable as New York, as as Manhattan is. Mm. So anyway, I I think it's just very very upsetting because this this kind of situation is just going under the radar with everything that we're going through. Exactly. Yeah, but the but but the New York Times has shined a um, shined a light on it. So yeah, I agree. I agree one hundred percent. I just don't know that. First of all, it's a very complicated issue. 2008 was complicated and this is complicated. I think it's going to be very difficult for people to follow when you're, when you don't have enough money to buy food, yes. when you don't have enough money to pay your rent, when you don't have enough money to, uh, you know, buy your next uh, Maserati, which, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it right. depends. Rich is, is where you're standing. You know, I guess, yeah. you know, some, some people can argue that $1 million is not rich. And uh, meanwhile, there are people going through lines, hours and hours of lines to try and get food during this coronavirus. So, yeah. Anyway. No, I mean, um, Oscar's dead on. Um, the story's going to get buried, and it shouldn't, obviously. Um, you know, people just don't have the strength that, the, the, to look at a complicated story like this and, and you know, sort of assess it out because they're just worried about putting food on the table. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm very curious to see, I mean, it's terrible as far as I'm concerned, but like, you know, like when you're in a bar, I think politics and religion should never be discussed, but, you know, in this situation, I think it crosses both political parties. Uh, it's a huge story. I'm, I'm real curious, Peter, what you think this would have any kind of an effect on the South Florida real estate market in general. I know we 
just sort of touched on it as far as what the door per door price would be on the buybacks. But do you think it could affect the overall uh, South Florida real estate market? Well, I think it's, I mean, generally speaking, I, I think you see some people starting, uh, you know, start, starting their engines. Well, somebody's excited back there about Goldman. <laughs> I know. It's, they're very upset about this story. They're yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so let, let me tell you, if you do buy one of these places for 170 grand, you think you're going to turn around and rent it. No, 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 not so quick. John, what's the story you got? This this one's very interesting, yeah. and it's got some uh, it's got some uh, gossip to it. Yeah, this is a, a fairly related story. Um, I'm a longtime Mets fan from when I was a child, uh, originally from New York. I think you mean suffering, right? Suffering, yes, yeah, suffering, much like my suffering Jets. Um, <laughs> but if, there's a story here. This was uh, reported uh, actually quite a few places, including the New York Post. Uh, oh, and John, John, let me clarify for anybody who's not in the United States. New York Mets is a baseball team, Major League Baseball team. New York Jets is a lackluster NFL football <laughs> team. So Jets and you Mets. You just had to kill me with that, didn't you? <laughs> and, 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 and they're both out of New York. Absolutely. And All right, John, sorry. <laughs> put the dagger in my gut. Um, but the headline here, I mean, it's been picked up. Uh, actually, it's reported by the Post. Uh, New York Times, Bleacher Report is the one I'm, I'm choosing from. So there's a couple different headlines, but it's in essence, Mets, uh, Noah Syndergaard, who was the Mets ace pitcher, their uh, all-star pitcher, was sued for allegedly missing his New York City penthouse rent payments. So uh, apparently uh, his landlord sued him uh, for not paying the rent. Um, it's a federal lawsuit and it, it accuses Syndergaard of defaulting on his eight-month lease he signed in February. Is seeking two hundred fifty thousand dollars for the full value of the lease. Now, uh, this is apparently two months, um, and of course, he's citing listen, you know, the coronavirus. Um, there's a couple of issues involved, but he just decided not to take possession of the lease premises, uh, abandoned his obligations, uh, refused to take possessions, and declined to make any of the required payments. Now, Syndicate has since gone on Twitter with a rant against this. Uh, you know, threatening, you know, come on, baby, let's go to court. I'll see you in court because he's saying, listen, it's the, you know, the coronavirus is the reason. And uh, initially, his lawyer, him and his lawyers didn't respond, um, basically saying he had no intention of taking possession um, and that the landlord was free to re-rent it as he sees fit. So he gave him an opening to re-rent it, and instead the landlord turned around and signed a federal suit against him. So... Uh, again, an eight-month lease would cover the entire 2020 uh, Major League Baseball season. Um, but, you know, as everybody knows, the start of the year has been postponed because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. So, so let, let, let's – yeah, and baseball might start in July. That's right. what we're hoping on. But, but let's run those numbers. Two hundred fifty grand, which is supposed to be the total amount of the lease for eight right. months. Eight months. Think about that rent. <laughs> You're talking north of 30 G's a month. That's a grand a day. That must be a hell of a oh, penthouse. Man. I'm sure it's top shelf. But <laughs> wow, wow, wow. But, so what what say you, Oscar? If the fat cats are doing it, why can't the alley cats do it? <laughs> well, I think that's uh that's where we're gonna end up, even though I think the lesson learned from two thousand eight is that you you take your credit into your own hands and it could it could have ramifications for years 
if that's what happens. I mean, if if there's relief to the landlords specifically so that they can allow people not to pay and, and the landlords still get paid, that's great. But I think it's a very problematic scenario for individuals who don't have a lot of wealth or cash to begin with who have you know jobs that can go away overnight and they don't have any savings but i don't know what the alternative if if it's between food and the place you're living in i would think food for your family is going to be first and then you roll the dice and hope that you make it out okay but it's a it's it's a very tough situation i don't know how i i i I am fortunate enough not to be in that position right now, but I've been there and it's horrifying because you can't sleep. You can't, uh, you know, you're stressed all day. Anything could set you off. You're just worried that at any moment the net is going to disappear and you're going to fall, you know, 10,000 feet to your financial demise. So it's a very tough situation. And I, I feel for a lot of these people who, uh, don't have many choices and it's you know it shows you the significance of the goldman situation because as you pointed out they were supposed to be in there helping people and that was part of the settlement apparently for them not to be shut down or for for the, their executives to be prosecuted and here they are a few years later foreclosing on those properties probably and that is in my mind is a form of insider trading because they probably know all of the people who are in dire straits right yep because and, they're no. and for what it's worth goldman sachs they're the ones that provide the credit mm-hmm. cards for apple so if you go on your iphone and you can get a uh, credit card application uh, in three minutes goldman that large country um uh wow that's sarcasm that large country right, right. ultimately has got its tentacles everywhere right yeah. So I, you know, I, I, I guess my take on it is ultimately, um, capitalism's capitalism. Uh, if you did something like the Great Recession to put yourself in a mm-hmm. position where you're going to get undermined, i.e., lose your place, get evicted, that's one thing. It's not easy to accept, but okay, you can make the logical argument. Okay, you shouldn't have done this. Shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have overspent. You should have saved. Blah 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 blah. This situation. It wasn't. It was. It wasn't man-made. It was an act of God. Effectively, it's not officially defined as an act of God, but this nobody had any anything to do with basically the tidal wave that's come through. And I and I think that that's sort of the difference. I can understand they're in the Great Recession. Okay, you made a mistake. You should have spent. You over leveraged. Whatever. This time you didn't do anything. You were trying to go to work. You were trying to do everything. Next thing you know, it all got shut down on you. So that that mm-hmm. was my take on it. Well. I would argue, and there was a study that just came out that showed that if we started social distancing a week earlier, there would have been 30,000 less deaths. And two weeks earlier, it would have been something like. Sure, sure. But I'm talking macro. I'm talking I'm talking 30,000 feet up, 30,000 feet up. You took out a loan Mm -hmm. and you lost it in theory. Mm -hmm. This time you Mm -hmm. didn't do shit. And all of a sudden you're out. So let's let's think about the the impact of 2008. Right. So let's say that. You acted responsibly. You did what you were supposed to do 
maybe you were told by the government that it was okay to default on your loans because you were going to get help and then you didn't get help or you acted irresponsibly, whatever that was, right? You were, there was, uh, there was a vulture-like approach. Hey, watch to it. I got a trademark loans. on that. I don't want to say I have to have my attorney. I have to pay you a nickel. I know. I have to pay you a nickel. <laughs> so there was a quote-unquote vulture-like approach to the uh, mortgage uh, industry where they were lending, you know, 600000 to a gardener. And in the end, yeah, they made money, but those loans eventually defaulted and then uh, those people were impacted negatively and the banks were impacted negatively, except that the banks got a bailout and the individual. Ding, 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 ding. So, Absolutely correct. Right. Right. So you, you look five, 10 years down the road and here we are with people defaulting again. And how do we, I mean, I don't know what the makeup is, but how do we know that the setup well, is well, 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 the Fed sort of dealt with it. What, what, that's why they gave people uh, the possibility for a one-year forbearance, which basically means mm-hmm. your debt gets pushed back uh, uh, a year and uh, you can stay in your home because the, the market doesn't want to get, the, the lenders and the Feds don't want to flood the market with foreclosures, which will ultimately bring down the, um, uh, the overall sales price. The problem is what happens in the year two? Uh, do all these properties simply get foreclosed? Right. So that's the part we we're, we're not yeah. aware. But um, so yeah. th- let's let, why don't we break for a commercial? We'll come up on the second yeah. side of the commercial, the other side, right. and we'll get into more of a micro. Yeah. What's going on in South Florida and Miami Dade County? Uh, Oscar's got a good one. So you're listening to the Kind of Vultures podcast. I'm Peter Zaluski, your host. We have two esteemed journalists, well, former journalists. We got Oscar Musabai and John Feckler. We're going to take a break right now, and we'll catch you on the other side to hear what uh, headline Oscar has. Hi, this is Oscar Musabai from Influence Communications. In this age of coronavirus, nothing is more important than keeping your current customers and attracting new ones. And at Influence Communications, we are expert at reaching out to the media and letting them know that your business is open and the services that you provide. And our expertise is in adaptation, helping businesses change their messaging on a regular basis to make sure that they are keeping up with what is happening and what the market is demanding. And we also specialize in reaching out to Spanish language media to get your story out. So please call me, Oscar Musabai, 786-348-9257. That's 786-348-9257. 786-348-9257. Thank you. Welcome to the Condom Vultures Podcast. I'm Peter Zaluski. I'm your host, John Fackler, as well as Oscar Musabai. They're on the line. We're, we are kicking it around uh, in terms of uh, three headlines that caught our attention uh, from the real estate industry within the last week, and we're giving you our take on it. So I went first. My story was uh, about Goldman Sachs foreclosing on 10,000 homes. John followed suit with uh, an all-star pitcher, former all-star, New York Mets baseball team refusing to pay his 30 grand a month uh, apartment and the landlord suing for full payment and the all-star baseball player basically flipping the bird. Oscar Musabai, what, what do you got? Uh, help to uh, capture the, the, the moment right now in South Florida. So this is from the Miami Herald, Rene Rodriguez, Andres Veglucci, and Martin Vas- Vasolo. I, th- I think I'm saying that correctly. Winwood Design District and other Miami-Dade shopping spots reopen after COVID-19. 
So here the Herald and, is and, talking and about Oscar, not to interrupt. Last. Well, actually, to interrupt, uh, yeah, give yeah. everybody an idea of sure, what sure. Wynwood is. So Wynwood is where people go to take selfies with giant street murals. And there are a lot of restaurants and it's very, you know, what they call hipster. It's like people wearing almost like a uniform for how they dress very um, chill. And uh, it, it's an industrial district that now has been converted into this sprawling um, neighborhood of very interesting buildings. I mean, the design is very specific. It's got low scale uh architecture which is in line with what was there before and it's much more accessible because they've created connections between streets that allow people to walk through rather than have to walk around buildings and it's it's a very interesting neighborhood that's design district i'm sorry that's when what design district is the high-end uh luxury uh neighborhood that was created by and a large investment by Louis Vuitton and uh, Craig Robbins and another person were the main drivers behind that locally. And um, it's, it's got, you know, all the, the huge brands that you would expect in like Rodeo drive kind of situation are in that place. So those places opened last week and in the store, it explains that there, there weren't a lot of people in, in, uh, walking around but you know it's a it's a slow Opened process after what two months of lockdown in florida yeah. now, now, now for yeah, clarity, exactly clarity because... for people listening um the rest of the state of florida opened up uh roughly two weeks ago uh a week ago on the 11th of may palm beach county which is the northern part of south florida opened and then on the 18th of may uh miami dade which is where miami is and broward where fort lauderdale is they both opened yep and uh, this week, June 1, starts major reopenings in other ways. So we got hotels, we got uh, beaches, and even like pools and multifamily buildings. So a very, I would say, aggressive reopening plan that uh, is going to require a lot of people to stick to the restrictions. Because if not, you're going to have what's happening in places uh, around the country where they're seeing increases in uh, COVID. And I'm 100% behind the idea of careful reopening because I think the economy has to have some kind of juice or we're going to have major, major, more major problems. Keep in mind, keep in mind nationwide in the United States, there's a ballpark 40 million people, 39 million have filed for unemployment yep. in what, six weeks? Yeah. Yeah, we're, I think we're at 18% unemployment. And if it gets to 20% for a year, then that's depression era numbers. So uh, we've got some ways to go. Hopefully, uh, we won't reach that mark because that would be a very so, bad so, record. So, I, Oscar, you're, you're talking about everything open. You're talking about Winwood, which is high end. You were talking about design district, mm-hmm. district, which is very high end. What do I mean by high end? Well, let, let me lay it out there for you. Uh, Winwood to get a beer is probably going to cost you about ten bucks. A Budweiser, mm-hmm. let's just say, say you want that. Well, it's very hard to get one. If you could get one, probably eight bucks, just to give you context. 
design district. Um, That's right. You know, you, you have Louis Vuitton, you have Cartier, you have all the big brands. So we're talking about big money. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm bringing this up is if you got 40 million people filing unemployment, you got an unemployment rate that's pushing 20 percent and gaining momentum. Once all oh, people can actually get online and register for their unemployment. What the hell's the point of opening if no one's going to show up because they don't have cash to burn? Right. Well, that's the question. Are people going to have enough cash to be able to support these businesses? And some people will, some people won't. I mean, I think probably where you'll see uh, some some significant breathing room in cash is obviously on the luxury side. People who are buying the luxury product in Miami are going to have the ability to frequent these restaurants and bars and things. But, 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 but when... time out though. So, but if, if they're generally speaking, the people with these, these fat cats with the deep pockets, generally speaking, aren't they a little mm-hmm. bit long in the tooth, <laughs> meaning they're a little bit older and aren't they in the, in the kill mm-hmm. zone in terms of the most at risk. But I, in, in Miami, this is a playground for a lot of people. So I don't know that, Maybe it's going to be like that around the country, but not in Miami. I think Miami, Miami Beach, Brickell, there's a younger crowd that has money. You see them driving around in Mercedes and, you know, BMWs, and there's nothing no, wrong with no, that. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying there, there to... is, but but if you're targeting, right. you know, if your niche is a restaurant tour, and by the way, what percentage of the restaurant can actually um, uh, accommodate um, in, in-store guests or in-restaurant guests? What is it, 25, 50% of the tables? Yeah, 50%. 50%. 50% capacity. Wow. Yeah. So it's, I think uh, the only way that this makes sense is if the federal government continues to provide money and it's not only the federal government, the city of Miami has, has created a fund and local governments have to try and pitch in, but at the same time, local governments are getting, you know, decimated. And so is uh, the state, every state is going to be decimated because everything's shut down. So the taxes stopped. So it's every state is going to have an enormous hole. So the money, you just can't keep printing money. It's a very complicated situation. It's not easy. And we should pray that our leadership has the wisdom to be able to to, uh, you know, have all these. No religion, Oscar, no religion. Remember, no politics, no (laughs) no religion. You're breaking the two golden rules. And this is this is from a from a borderline atheist. (laughs) We got to pray. You got to pray. There are no atheists in foxholes, but in this case, I think um, where we're going to see these places being um, supported is from a wealthier crowd that can, you know, that can afford to go out and spend the money. Now, the question is, should restaurants raise their prices to make up for the losses? If that were to happen, then that would push that that would even make the group that could afford going out even narrower, right? So it's a very interesting situation because Miami, as you know, you like to give examples, is very much a party town. So how much does a bottle of champagne at a club cost? A hundred. No, dude, it's right? more than more. that. I mean, a, a happy hour, you it? get a bottle of vodka, cheap shit vodka <laughs> is a hundred bucks, you know, and that's right. like a Tuesday, Wednesday night. Wow. Plus tip right. and all that. So at so the end you, of the day, you're out the door for probably yeah. 200 bucks. And that's that's cheap vodka. When you order those, what is it called? I don't even remember. Oh, uh, they, but they, they call it bottle service. It's actually, it's all over the world. Now, yes. But some people say it originated yes. in Miami. 
Yeah, it's that makes sense. So you consider that that we're now known for that. <laughs> that that gives you some yep. sense of where our money is coming from. It's tourism. It's high end tourism. You know, Fontainebleau. All these hotels cater to a very high end. So speaking of a lot of cash to burn, <laughs> what say you, John? You're gonna go out there and spend some of that money, or are you gonna uh, hunker down at well, home, uh, afraid of catching the COVID? <laughs> No, I, you know, one of these things I'm, you know, listening to Oscar speak, um, I really um, kind of fixated on Wynwood. Wynwood, you know, again, a lot of art galleries, a very hip place, a lot of hipsters there. Um, unlike, unlike your popular tours that, you know, bring in about 10 or 20, your bus tours, the tours there, they have a, um, I don't know if it's twice a month or once a month walking tour in Wynwood. And these are clusters of hundreds, maybe thousands of people who walk the streets and I keep thinking, how in the hell are they going to have a six-foot distancing? Wait, but time out. Let, let's give a little clarification. Not everybody walking is spending money. Some of them are homeless looking to shake down the course. <laughs> but, um, you know, with all due respect to your tours, which are very popular, but, you know, th- this is a popular marketing uh, mechanism for Winwood, and that is these tours, uh, which are basically art-in-a-park type things where people walk around and check out the galleries. And they're clustered. I mean, they're clustered to, to get together. Then they'll go into the bars and they're clustered there. How are they going to – I just can't visualize the six-foot distancing uh, component working. I mean, I'm sure yeah. they have, make them wear masks I could see, but that, that, I, I would love to be an, a, a beat reporter, a right. beat retail reporter, and walk into one of these establishments after they try to do this mm-hmm. and really ask the, the restaurateurs or you know the retailers, listen, are you really making money? I mean, what, you know, what, what, what do you, th- what do you, what needs to be done for you to make money? Because I don't see them making any money. Yeah. Well, the the rules are, it's six feet. If you're on your own, if you're in a group and you're sort of set off from the rest of the room, you can be three feet apart. And then if you're a family living in the same house, then you don't have to adhere to that distance issue. So, there are some accommodations that are being made to try and make it possible for restaurants to operate and for people to feel a little more comfortable, but it's going to be very difficult because it's, of course, how do you police that in Wynwood at night where everybody's getting tanked up and they're laughing. They're glad to be out again. I don't see this happening. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's going to be very difficult. But, but, but I mean, think think of the other side. The other side is it's a Hail Mm -hmm. Mary. Effectively, here we go. Religion again. In, in sports, there's something called a hail mary, where a uh, a play will be attempted in order to try to uh, uh, eke out a victory when what definitely seems like a loss. I think what the government is doing and what these restaurant tours and these these uh, barkeeps are doing is they're effectively trying to keep get some cash in the door because many of them are at probably at the yeah. end of the line. Um, and if they lease out spaces at big, big, big mm-hmm. lease commitments, many of them have personal recourse. So, you know, the, the landlord's going to come knocking like, like the, the moratorium that was put on foreclosure mm-hmm. and evictions. That's for people with their primary residence. It's not for the commercial related mm-hmm. type of stuff. So, you know, I, if the, if the government, because of these restrictions, if they're the ones that force somebody in the BK, which mm-hmm. is bankruptcy or into some of these lawsuits and other things, you know, this seems like a real weak ass Mm -hmm. attempt to try to have people have a a fighting chance, but the, you know, the likelihood is the odds are against them big time. And then you're going to get the distressed buyers coming in and basically, you know, pouncing. Hmm. 
Interesting. Mm. Wow. So, I would like to end it on a good note. So, guys, we're coming up against our time allotment. Anybody want to add anything before we uh, shut this podcast down? Uh, no, I don't think I have anything. I'm good. John? Gentlemen, thanks for joining um, the podcast, episode nine of Cotton Vultures Podcast. That was Oscar Musabai, and that was John Fackler. I'm your host, Peter Zalewski. Thanks for listening. Be sure to touch base next week or uh, tune in next week to our upcoming podcast. If you have any comments, you want to you uh, compliment us, you want to uh, criticize us, you want to offer any suggestions for discussion, uh, please send an email to inquiry at condovultures.com, I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at condovultures.com. Thanks for listening to the Condo Vultures podcast. We'll catch you again next week. Bye. Later.